1: I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Winnie City Gridiron, and I'm joined by E.J. Snyder, Senior Draft Analyst. E.J., are you ready to finally get some of this draft prep that you've been working on out to Bears fans?
0: I am so ready, possibly even over ready. Been (laughs) buried in film work for a while. For those of you that follow me on Twitter, thanks for putting up with me. I have not put a ton of stuff out on Twitter. I've really prioritized sticking my head in the tape and figuring out what this class is all about. And now's the time to open the gates and let all that stuff out. So let's do it.
1: Well, I'm really excited about this episode because we are working with a target-rich environment, to quote you, uh, about this wide receiver class. But first, let's get some beers in us. Uh, what are you drinking today? I
0: uh, have a... Spin cycle red, because a lot of these wide receivers are able to put defensive backs in the spin cycle. Lots Ah, of good in this class. It is from Anoli Brewhouse over in Spokane. I've had their stuff before on this podcast. 5.75 alcohol by volume. 49 IBUs, so might be tickling your limit. Might be a little bit high, but uh, I've been impressed with their beers in the
1: past, so I am excited about it. What do you have? Well, I brought this one back from New Orleans. I'm really excited to share this one. Uh, It's from Second Line Brewing Company, and we actually went to this uh, brewery, and it's a little outdoor uh, seating facility. Uh, So very nice. And it is called a Saison Named Desire. (laughs) And it's a traditional farmhouse ale with blood orange in it. Uh, I'm really excited about it, but I brought it on here because by the end of this podcast, I assume that I'm going to have identified a couple wide receivers that I will desire to be wearing uh, navy and orange, so very excited for this one, and uh, let's get let's them going. Do that. Yeah, we uh, we we managed to hit up a couple breweries on our trip, and including we drove over to Mobile oh. uh, one day when we were down on the coast, and we we visited your friends in Mobile. Yeah, no, they they were extremely
0: hospitable when when we were down there at the Senior Bowl. And uh, if we get to get back to the Senior Bowl this year, we will definitely try and hold uh, a listener event down there at uh, Ironhand Brewing.
1: Well, they only had, I think, three beers on tap uh, of their own because M- uh, Mardi Gras had gone mm-hmm. through Mobile and in and, and that area and cleaned them out. So um, we got to try a couple, but they were just trying to fill back their stock so kind of interesting second uh second line uh you kind of saw that around new orleans with the smaller breweries where they were out of a lot of their own stuff because mardi gras just kind of soaks it all up (laughs) but um we had a couple beers at this second line and and had a good time there and and, uh, i'm really excited for this one because i I didn't uh have this one while i was there because i wanted to bring back to share it on the pod
0: yeah well at first glance this is crazy lovely it's got a really nice sort of deep uh, amber color to it and not very much head but boy it just really tasty so i'm excited for the rest of this
1: i could drink this all day i really like farmhouse ales um it's five and a half percent so maybe i shouldn't drink it all day because that would eventually catch up to me but um i really enjoy the the farmhouse ale just in general and you put a little little bit of uh sweetener in it like some sort of fruit, and I'm all in. So this is this is in my wheelhouse uh, for more of a summery beer, and this is really good so far. So Awesome. Good. Well, we'll check back, and uh, I think I'm going to have no problem finishing that one before the, the pod. But let's talk about wide receivers. Let's start on the Bears roster, though. Uh, I think last year we both would have said the wide receiver was looking really deep um, it, it, on the Bears roster, and I, I think maybe we have to kind of take a half step back and reevaluate because – Right now, you know, Bears have Allen Robinson, clear-cut number one. He proved he was the alpha this year. I think we were both hoping that we'd be able to talk about Allen Robinson signing an extension with the Bears at this point, but he, as of right now, he hasn't. And he's currently entering, uh, this fall will be the third year of a three-year deal. So hopefully he gets that extension done before the year starts and can continue to be that alpha for the Bears the second wide receiver spot is occupied by Anthony Miller, a guy that you were incredibly high on when he came out in the draft. We both like Miller a lot, but he has had some trouble with those, uh, with that shoulder issue. Looked like he hurt that in the last game of the year. Uh, maybe he needed surgery. I don't think either one of us have heard anything about that, uh, if he had to have that surgically repaired again or not. Uh, but those are kind of the two guys that are definitely locked into spots. Uh, and then it gets a little bit mm, trickier from there. Do you want to comment on the top two guys before we move on? Uh, I
0: think we've talked about Allen Robinson's sort of ad nauseum, and I'm happy to. We're both happy to. We both really think A-Rob is exactly what he's shown to be, which is an alpha, a number one ride receiver, very excited to be in Chicago, productive everything good that you want and we both hope that he stays in navy and orange for you know as long as he can as long as it's possible because he really locks down a very important spot in the modern nfl so that's that's where we are with a rob and and we're happy to have him as a bear with miller miller is really the linchpin or the hinge point in the bears wide receiver core when he's on the field he's effective he's been somewhat inconsistent in you know routes he had a little bit trouble picking up the playbook but physically he is dominant he is an excellent route runner he can break things open as long as he is on the same page with the quarterback physically there were so many routes he was open on that he didn't get hit on so I'm really interested I guess I don't want to say excited to see what he can do with some consistent quarterbacking I'm hoping Nick Foles delivers that but the shoulder issue is huge and Many, many Bears fans kind of missed when he injured it in the last game of the season. And they're just penciling him in as a healthy, go-to, absolute number two starter. And I don't think it's quite that for sure. He struggled with the shoulder injury since coming out of Memphis. He definitely hurt it again. We don't know whether it needs surgery or not. We probably won't know for a while. We might not know at all. Sometimes they don't release that information. But if he is slow to start or limited when the season begins... It's not a good look for the Bears because then you go right down into the depth chart. So if Miller is there and healthy and ready to go and connects with Nick Foles, I think the Bears receiving core is fairly strong, but there's some assumptions there. If he's not, it's not really looking like a position of strength anymore.
1: Right. So the other two guys that I think Bears fans are, I think, very mixed on. I think you'll hear differing opinions on these two guys, both out of Georgia uh, first guy is Javon Wims, kind of that lankier guy. And then Riley Ridley, who we just did not see a lot out of uh, in his rookie year, but came out, he was supposed to be a pretty polished route runner, uh, but just didn't really see the field much. So those two guys, do you expect uh, with the uh, roster shift with Taylor Gabriel leaving, do you expect either of those guys to find more playing time, or are we looking for a direct Taylor-Gabriel replacement with some of the guys that we're going to talk about in the draft. How about both? Okay. How about,
0: yes, I expect Riley really to see some more playing time, especially more than he did in his rookie year. Sometimes wide receiver is one of those positions, depending on the offense, that's a lot like safety on defense it's not an easy thing for a rookie to come in and play the full slate a lot of times they need to learn one position um and if an offense tries to teach them multiple positions in their rookie year it can be overwhelming and a lot of them don't produce the very first year out of the gate and if they do it's because they lock them into one position they ask them to do a couple of things well i'm thinking about DK metcalf in seattle right sure they bring him in, they say, "Do this." Russell Wilson makes a connection, hits that guy for some big plays, and it starts the narrative that, you know, he did really well. And he did. He had a great rookie year. doesn't always happen. A lot of guys take two years to heat up, but I think Ridley may be like that. He's a very good player at Georgia. He is not the equal of his brother, but he is close. He is probably eighty, eighty five percent of Calvin Ridley and a very good route runner and can fill a role, but is he a direct replacement for Taylor Gabriel? I don't think he is because Gabriel was really the speedster. Now, they played in the slot a lot. He did play outside some, but Ridley's going to be that guy that can be very consistent at getting open, catching the ball across the middle, running those short outs, really moving the chains, and a little bit more now and again. He's not terribly shifty with the ball in his hands, but he's got a little wiggle to him, and he's not a small guy either, So I think he's a very good NFL caliber wide receiver once he gets going. We'll see, but I expect to see more of that. Wims had some increased opportunities, but again, I'm not exactly sure that the offensive staff knows how to use him, or at least they didn't look like they knew how to use him last year best, which is, let's put this guy on fades down near the goal line, let him body people. He is a big physical wide receiver. He looked excellent in camp. And then really sort of played the third or fourth fiddle role in the offense and just didn't see the field all that much. So I'm not sure to think what what I should be thinking about Javon Wims. I like him a lot as a player. I would talked about him coming out of Georgia as a, exactly what he was, a late-round dad or a UDFA. And he looked tremendous when we saw him in camp last year. This didn't translate onto the field, and that happens sometimes. So who knows? Maybe he comes in, uh, makes a quick good relationship with nick Foles and starts getting more passes i think that'd be great for the offense but i don't think you can assume that's absolutely going to happen
1: yeah different kind of skill set so i think i'm pretty hopeful that he can continue to improve and find a little more playing time and and like you said it's going to be interesting to see what a guy like Foles prefers i know he likes to throw the tight ends we'll do that on another episode um but it'll be interesting to see if he earns any more playing time the only other guys on the roster You know that are listed at wide receiver that I think we need to talk about is one Cordell Patterson. I don't consider him a wide receiver. I just consider him football player, right? Like you know, special teamer, backfield guy. Yeah, sure, he can line up as wide receiver for some routes as well. But it's hard to count him against the wide receiver count. You know that that uh, teams usually keep about six wide receivers. I'm not sure that that's necessarily including Cordell Patterson or not. The other guy that I know that. We talked about last year uh, quite a bit, and then he was pretty impressive in camp, and so I want to kind of talk about him as the second-year guy out of Colgate, Thomas Ives. Yeah, Thomas Ives really had an eye-opening
0: camp, and, you know, frankly, in the preseason he played very well as well. He's one of those guys that makes the most of his opportunity. He definitely played above his draft status, which was UDFA, I think played above the level that most people expected but a big physical wide receiver runs good routes has very strong hands and caught just about everything that came near him that was what sort of made him a fan favorite camp is if that ball was in his area he was coming down with it and that got to be a a consistent theme and people got excited about it does that mean he comes in as a number four, even a number five. Well, it depends on, again, the five wide receivers have to play special teams. But Ives is a guy that has proven when you give him opportunities, he makes the most of it. So could we see him ascend to, you know, some more regular playing time or at least the kind of playing time that maybe Wims or Ridley saw last year? I think it's logical. He showed that kind of ability. And until he gets stopped or stuffed um, on Sundays, you keep giving that guy a couple of shots a game and see what he does with them. And yeah. who knows, maybe injury comes and he slides in and starts being productive. He could be a Cinderella story, we'll see. He definitely showed it in the opportunities that he got. So I think the arrow's pointing up, but again, not a guy you're going to slot into your top three as a as part of the production on offense.
1: No, if you were counting on that uh, at this point in the year, you'd be uh, maybe freaking out a little bit. But this, maybe not. Is this wide receiver cl- draft class is just absolutely mind-boggling just how many names and players there are. So let's get into this. So when I look at this Bears wide receiving core, the skill set that I'm seeing that the Bears don't really have is someone to take the top off the defense. So One of those traditional speed guys, right? We're we're losing Taylor Gabriel, which was the element that he is designed to bring. He's more than that. Um, I really like Taylor Gabriel. Um, I understand why the Bears parted ways. Sal was uh, definitely too high for what the Bears needed for this offseason, and he was having some trouble staying on the field. All of that's true. So I wanted to talk about this class in a couple different ways, and the first bucket that I think we need to talk about are some of these names that Bears fans are going to hear on the first night of the draft that the Bears have absolutely no chance at, and just because they're going to be in the league, this is you know it's a top-heavy class and it's a deep class. It's one of those rare things that are that's happening in this twenty twenty draft. But a couple of these names that Bears fans might be excited about, but there's no chance that they're going to be on the team. And the first name that I hear a lot of is C.D. Lamb, a guy out of Oklahoma. What can you tell me about him? C.D. Lamb is
0: a great wide receiver. And as you mentioned, this class is historic. So Daniel Jeremiah, who works for NFL.com, is our draft analyst. Excellent, excellent resource. If you're into the draft, definitely follow DJ. Um, he said he has 27 wide receivers ranked with top three-round grades that is, yeah, that's top-heavy. That's crazy top-heavy, like historically top-heavy. The most wide receivers we've had drafted in a seven-round modern draft is 35, I believe. It's either 33 or 35. So to have 27 ranked in rounds one through three gives you an idea of just how many players and how many good players, um, you know, potential starters there are in this draft. So C.B. Lamb is definitely up near the top of the heap, played at Oklahoma, big guy, tremendous body control. A lot of people saw his catch in the red zone fade drill at the combine where he sort of went up really high, high pointed the ball, pirouetted, came down, dropped both feet in the corner, and just rolled out of bounds um, and hopped up like it was nothing. Tremendous body control, uh, plenty of size, great hands. Um, I don't know if he's at the top. It's very hard to pick a superlative at the top, but he is definitely solidly in the top three.
1: So, I'm curious, are the other two of the three teammates? They
0: are teammates. Okay,
1: so Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Let's talk about those guys.
0: Yeah, the Alabama wide receiving core, both of these guys come from Alabama, is off the charts. It's unbelievable. They have four guys currently, uh, Judy and Ruggs being two of them, that if they had declared this year, they probably would have gone in the first two rounds.
1: Oh, jeez.
0: So you've got four guys on one college team that are top two rounders. T- three of them are certainly first rounders. And, you know, two of them didn't come out this year. The two that did are exceptional. Jerry Judy, um, probably the best route runner in the draft. Also ridiculously quick. Um, not oversized, but not undersized either. He's not a huge guy. Uh, he's about six foot, 189 or so. Um just does things on film that are completely ridiculous. Uh, he has the announcers, who are guys that do SEC games every week, laughing, saying things like, he's unbelievable, he's ridiculous. Did you see that? Um, it's not often that the color commentators sort of break down and say those sort of things. And they say those sort of things somewhat regularly with Jerry Judy. So listed here, I got him six one one ninety three, 193. Um, very, very quick. Um, also pretty darn fast doesn't have quite the top end that his teammate henry ruggs does ruggs is labeled the fast guy 5 188 ran one of the fastest 40s at the combine a lot of people thought he was a potential to break the record for the 40 and maybe even get into this sort or of sacred four ones territory like four one nine because he had run a hand-timed um, 40 at the Alabama pro day the year before that was teetering right around four to a lot of scouts started talking about that at the time. He is crazy, crazy fast, but do not label him a fast guy. He is also tough and he's a very good route runner. A lot of draft analysts um, who spend a lot of time specifically with wide receivers like Brad Kelly have rugs as the top this year. So any one of these three guys uh, rugs, judy or cd lamb could go first um any one of those guys could go fourth depending on what teams really want but anybody that picks them up is going to get a really skilled wide receiver that can come in and contribute in a big way right away
1: now one guy that i've heard a lot about and i, I feel like he's rising as the draft process has moved along and that's denzel mims out of baylor uh is that is that the case is he uh, looks like he's everything that he's cracked up to be
0: i believe he is and a lot of times late risers as you said um or guys that really move up through the process and there's a lot of reasons that that happens but a lot of times they sort of don't have quite as much shine as as the story might pretend but uh I, mims is not that guy denzel mims is a guy we got to see up close and personal at the senior bowl he destroyed the senior bowl Uh, He has great routes. He has very good size. He is crazy fast. He's a fourth-year senior out of Baylor, 6'2", 207, excellent hands. And one of my favorite things about Denzel Mims that I found when I went back after the Senior Bowl and really dug into more of his tape, I'd watched just a couple of games before I went to the Senior Bowl to kind of get an idea of who he was, watched a couple more when I got back, and Denzel Mims is a ferocious blocker. And that's not something you see typically in the Big Twelve either, out of wide receivers mm. um, or really physical cornerback play. That's not the hallmark. Yeah, you don't
1: see tackling. That's for
0: sure. No, that's the hallmark of of that conference. And Denzel Mims is not somebody that sort of added blocking in his last year to make himself more attractive to scouts. He really relishes it. He's good at it. He's physical at it. He continues. He will run the guy out of bounds. A very, very good blocker, so a sort of underrated element to his game. But just in terms of size, route, hands, and then speed, he is the complete package. He is, I think, really solidly in the conversation for a fourth wide receiver. And in this draft class, that's nothing to sneeze about. That is a high high praise in this particular draft class so I like Denzel Mims a
1: lot well I'm, I'm, I'm trying to contain my excitement and I'm thinking about this from a fantasy football perspective because maybe I can get a share of Denzel Mims on a fantasy football team. because there's no chance that the Bears are getting these guys that we're talking about right now uh, but there's one more guy I wanted to ask you about and that's a guy from LSU Justin Jefferson what can you tell me about him
0: Justin Jefferson is a really good wide receiver, 6'1", 202. Played on that amazing LSU offense, uh, catching balls from Joe Burrow. Anyways, Justin Jefferson, uh, tremendous wide receiver, really, really skilled route runner, good hands in size. I know this sounds like a broken record, but there's so many of these guys. And the thing that was going to sort of hold him back is he played in the slot a little bit at LSU, and people didn't really think he had great speed. Well, he goes to the combine, and he runs a 4'4", And I think it was four, four, one. And a lot of people went, oh, wait, he's got everything else. He's got size. He's got routes. He's got hands. And now you're telling me he can run in the four, fours at that size. He really sort of pushed his way into the bottom of that first group or bubble or tier or whatever you want to call it of this very talented wide receiver class, because he was like, yeah, he's all that, but I don't think he's all that fast. He proved that he's that fast, and he really does have everything else. And if you go back and look at Justin Jefferson, he's very, very effective. And I think, again, he could be one of the top three wide receivers drafted depending on the team and how they see him.
1: Okay. All right. Well, okay, so just to recap, those guys probably not going to be – almost certainly not going to be around with those first three. And the other two probably not going to be around when the Bears have a chance to draft – But uh, we're going to get to the guys that we think could be around for the Bears when they're on the clock uh, on the other side of this break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. All right, EJ, we're back. So I want to talk about a few guys that we think could be around for the Bears draft picks in the second round, or even if Pace does what we both want him to do, which is trade back and gain some more draft capital, uh, maybe even fall into that third-round range. So uh, the first guy that I want to ask you about is the Sun Devil from Arizona State, uh, Brandon Ayuk.
0: Ayuk, yes, indeed. He's um, he's a fantastic fun player to watch he's got some tremendous burst he's got very long arms uh his arms belong on somebody that's about six six or six seven um he's six one uh (laughs) for reference um wow yeah he's got an 80 inch wingspan and he's 5'11 and 5'8 205 Fourth-year senior out of Arizona State. Has some special teams experience, which is really fun. Bears fans love a good special teamer. That's not what makes him great. He's explosive. He's athletic. He can really run with the ball once he's got it in his hands. He is highly competitive once he's made the catch. And a lot of his game is yak, right? Yards after catch or run after catch and he specializes he is tremendously competitive compactly built again, 511 205 uses all that size all the burst all the agility to run over people run around people really really fun player to watch and um solidly in that second tier of somebody that's going to contribute both on probably a core offense and special teams
1: well let me okay let me stick with guys that are well, you see, maybe 5'11". So let me stick with guys that are around that height. And I, and I see these guys uh, being drafted a lot in a lot of these mock drafts. I know I shouldn't look at too many of those. But I'm seeing these guys being drafted a lot near each other uh, for, for the Bears. And that's uh, Jalen Rieger and KJ Hamler, uh, TCU and Penn State guys. Uh, who do you like between those two? Are they kind of a similar skill set that we're talking about here?
0: Uh, I like them both, to say that right off the top. And in fact, they are mocked to dirt so closely and almost talked about in the same breath and conversations that on uh, my new podcast, Bootleg Football, we did a specific episode on Rager versus Hamler. Like, what's the, what's the same <laughs> and what's okay. different? Um, so I'm really familiar with both of these guys. Rager is, both of these guys are on the shorter side. Um, Rager's about 5'10 and over 200 pounds. Actually came into the combine a little beefed up from his typical playing weight. Uh, weighed in at about 206 and then ran what everybody thought was a really disappointing 40. Uh, people were again thinking he is, you know, one of those guys with a threat to run in the low four threes, possibly even the high four twos based on his tape speed. Came in and ran, you know, not that. And I don't worry about that so much because on tape, he is really, really fast, solidly built, even if he's not. 206 in his tape, say he was about 200 pounds. He's, you know, 5'10 and 5'8, so 5'10 and a half ish. Very tough wide receiver, runs really nuanced routes, and reminds me a little bit of Steve Smith. Now, before everybody jumps off a cliff and says he's not Steve Smith, no, he's not Steve Smith, but he reminds me a little bit of the Steve Smith that we saw at Utah, who was slightly undersized, but very well built, highly competitive, really tough. And fast, and one of the things that's impressive about Rager is even at that size, he wins jump balls because he is aggressive. He has a great vertical leap, and he will go up and get it. He knows how to do that. So those are some of the things that set Rager apart. Hamler is one of my favorites in this draft. He is five eight and five so he is on the shorter side, one seventy eight. So he's not slight, and he has the juice. This guy can separate this is your take it off the top speedster his routes are a little underdeveloped he doesn't run terrible routes but he tends to round them off a little bit highly competitive with the ball in the air but he is a little bit shorter has pretty good hands has a few drops but boy if you get the ball in his hands he's going to stretch it he's not going down all that easily and he has second gear he has third gear he has a third gear plus he is one of the fastest guys in this draft and he is going to open some eyes whichever offense he goes to so if you wanted to slot him in uh to come in and sort of replace taylor gabriel in the bears offense i would be all for it because defenses have to respect his speed he is so so fast
1: well that's that's what i'm looking for maybe we should just end the podcast right now <laughs> we could we could i would be really
0: happy if Hamler or rager ends up there they're both really quality players and rager's faster than he ran at the combine so people that are worried about his speed should go look at his tape because he also pries defenses wide open with his speed but can use routes and physicality to kind of maximize that
1: advantage all right two more guys from this from this group that i want to talk about and they're on the taller side of things so Uh, The first guy is Michael Pittman from USC. Uh, Looks like he's about
0: 6'4". Yeah, Pittman is a guy we got to see at the Senior Bowl. I was not super familiar with him. I, I knew he played at USC. USC didn't have a great year. I hadn't watched a ton of tape. Pittman really impressed me on the first couple days of drills. He was clearly the best wide receiver on the field, and you have to remember that Van Jefferson was there, Denzel Mims was there, K.J. Hill was there. There was a really, really good wide receiver group in Mobile, and Pittman, on the first day especially, was clearly the best wide receiver on the field. He was very quick at his size. Again, he is 6'4", three. This is a big dude, and typically big dudes are not really um, super agile in the little box drills they run, which simulate cuts. He looked very, very smooth. His routes are amazing. He uses his size. There are big guys that don't play like big guys, and like we just said about a guy like Jalen Rager, little guys that play bigger than their size. Pittman uses all 6'4 and 223 to box people out. He's not slow. He's solidly in the 4'5 range, which, again, for 223 is darn fast. He's got all the tools, and I really think Michael Pittman is being slapped on a little bit. Now, this is Michael Pittman Jr., his dad, Michael Pittman Sr., NFL player as well. Running back. Running back, yep. And... So he's got the bloodlines, but he really, he is a complete wide receiver. And I think in any other year, there's no way you're not talking about Michael Pittman as a first-round wide receiver. He's fast enough. He's big enough. He's definitely nuanced enough, skilled enough at the position, understands routes and leverage. He's got the whole thing, but there's just so many other guys that are a tick faster or – you know, played at a program that had a little bit more success offensively or whatever else. Somebody's going to pick up Michael Pittman in the third, probably, maybe even the fourth round, just again because of the density in the wide receiver class. And they're going to get a guy that they could plug in right away as a number two who could go out and put up 900 yards, six touchdowns, and a bunch of catches. He's definitely a catch magnet with that catch radius being 6'4". I wouldn't be surprised with like 80 catches, 900 yards and six touchdowns if he goes to the right
1: system he's that good
0: and he's going to go in the third or fourth round yeah
1: jeez, uh that's impressive and i got another guy that's six foot four and he plays at usc's one of usc's rivals notre dame chase claypool what can you tell me about him yeah, Chase
0: Claypool was, uh, I so when I saw Chase Claypool, again, wasn't super familiar with his work at Notre Dame because Notre Dame was not known this year for their passing game. I'd seen him last year. Um, I'd seen him this year. I didn't realize he was fully 6'4". And when I saw him at weigh-ins, I thought, man, this guy is like, I don't know, a couple of biscuits short of being the best move tight end ever
1: right (laughs) okay
0: and he goes out on the field and he crushes it was him and Pittman for the first two days he beat everybody he was fast he caught everything really physical at his size and I thought I started this theory with with Brett Coleman and a few other folks Danny Kelly was down there from the ringer and I was like what do you think if Claypool puts on about 10 or 15 pounds and becomes a move tight end because again in the stacked wide receiver class he's probably the I don't know, 5th, 6th, 8th, best wide receiver that you're looking at, and that's still really good. If he goes to the tight end class, he's like tight end 2 or maybe 3, right? Right. So it seemed like as a value proposition for him, it made a ton of sense. That was all good until he went to the combine. And he runs really fast at his size. And my dream of chase Claypool as a move tight end, my little secret that nobody else knew about goes straight out the window. He's getting drafted as a wide receiver because let's, let's be honest, wide receivers make more in the NFL than tight ends do. So if he can go as a wide receiver and he certainly can, he's easily that skilled. Um, he's going to do it. And so, yeah, Claypool, guy i really like but again he's um it he's so good he's 6'4 he's 238 80 inch wingspan so same size wingspan for him as for brandon Ayuk. yeah and i would have loved him a move tight end option or you know big slot whatever you want to call him i don't really care put that guy on the bears and he could still be there at 43 and they might choose to do that but he's a pure wide receiver and he's a darn good one
1: so out of this group uh, that, you know, probably have a pretty good chance of being there when the Bears uh, are on the clock at 43, uh, you know, whether or not they stick at that pick or not, you know, is, is a you know, a fair point of contention. But what do you think out of that group, the, you get to pick one of them. Who do you want in the Bears?
0: It's a
1: great question. The the true answer is
0: I would not be upset with any of the guys we talked about in the second group. I think Ayuk fits a little bit less just because of kind of who he is as a player. I, I wouldn't be at all upset with him, and he would bring special teams value as well. But if you could get Chase Claypool, okay, I would take him. He's massive. He's fast. He's got good hands. If they end up with a Michael Pittman and Miller doesn't, Come back for whatever reason or start slow, I could absolutely see A. Robin Pittman. You have two towers on the outside who are both very skilled, and then you play whoever you want to inside. You could play, you know, the guys we talked about at the top. You could grab another speedster late because, again, there's so much depth in this wide receiver class. You could really sort of build out your wide receiver core for years to come because, again, maybe if Miller can't shake the injury bug. Maybe they don't want to give him a second contract. Who knows? So you could load up in this class. You don't necessarily need to do it 43. but um, And, of course, Rager or Hamler would be that straight slot, speed over the top. They're both very skilled. I'd be thrilled to have either one of them. And they're both going to go in about that range. I've been running tons of mock drafts. And usually you get a shot at Hamler rager tends to go a few picks earlier sometimes rager's already gone by that 43 or 50 pick depending if you stay um so you know if they were going to pick them they'd have to pick them here because after that they'll be gone
1: right okay all right well that's an interesting group and i like i like those i like what they bring i like the just the measurables, very interesting. Uh, and like you say, any of them would probably make me pretty happy. So, all right, how about day three of the draft? So this is, you know, right now Bears have a fifth round pick, you know, <laughs> they're a the huge wasteland between their two second rounds and then the next time they're on the clock. Uh, but that can change. Uh, Pace could potentially trade back or you know, he's done it before. He could reach into the next year's trade capital to, to get into the fourth round or whatever. But he, I want to talk about some guys that are potentially projected to go a little later. So guys that might be on the board starting in around round four and maybe even down to the point where maybe some guys, for some reason, because the class is so stacked, maybe they, they slip into UD, UDFA territory, what, whatever. Um, so a couple guys to talk about with that. First one that I think we need to talk about, you already mentioned him, but that's Van Jefferson out of Florida. uh, 6'2", 200 pounds. What can you tell me about Van Jefferson?
0: Jefferson was a guy that really opened my eyes at the Senior Bowl with his route running. So he's got good size. um, Played, was very productive at um, kind of a loaded Florida wide receiver class. Again, Florida didn't do so well as a team this year, but they had three wide receivers on that team, two of whom are getting drafted. Um, And he still produced. Again, uh, son of an NFL wide receiver, Sean Jefferson, uh, long-time NFL wide receiver, and dad taught son well. Uh, Van is a technician. Even at his size, he is one of the best route runners in this class. I would say he's top three easily. Um, his hands are pretty good. Uh, I think uh, above average, and he understands leverage. He's not terribly fast. He's not slow, but he's not a burner. He really is a craft wide receiver. Like He studies his craft. He understands how to get people turned around. And he made people look silly, especially later on, second and third day of the Senior Bowl, as people started to sort of get a little bit more comfortable. The first day, there's always a little bit of shifting sands as they're getting used to new quarterbacks and new scheme and new teammates. But day two and three, Van Jefferson really started to, um, excuse the pun, separate himself by you know, using routes for separation, he just consistently won his reps one-on-one. And I think he's going to be a very productive guy, a lot like his dad, that plays at a sort of uh, wide receiver two or wide receiver three level, maybe with two or three different teams for a long time, and ends up racking up a very healthy amount of catches. He's just a good, skilled wide receiver and because there's so many really big guys, really fast guys, really flashy guys above him, he's going to go down the board. And whoever picks him is going to get a guy I think is ready to start in the NFL in terms of a tools perspective.
1: Let's stay in the Southeast, how about... Guy from South Carolina, Brian Edwards. Kind of similar measurables that we talked about. Maybe an inch taller, maybe 10 pounds heavier than Van Jefferson.
0: Yeah, Brian Edwards is a big, powerful guy. 6'2", 2'12". He is built a truck when you look at him on tape. I mean, not all 2'12s are equal. And if you look at him, he is a very muscular dude. Um, played at South Carolina. Had a freshman quarterback this year. Um, definitely left some opportunities on the field that way. But is a bull with the ball in his hands and had some games where he really just took over ended up with eight nine catches uh 130 140 yards two touchdowns like just was a force and then there are games where again because the offense was a little more focused on the run or you know the freshman quarterback wasn't quite getting in the ball as, as consistently as you might like his stats drop off but when you look Brian Edwards is a guy that plays really really hard he's a very high effort player he's extremely cool um, you know he's gonna warrant comparisons to guys who've been in the league who aren't necessarily as fast again he's, he's not slow he's in that um, mid four five range uh, low 4 six range. But he's getting forgotten, or I don't want to say forgotten, just sort of overlooked because there are players that are better. But you get to his tape and you go, man, this guy's a force when he's on the ball. If they're feeding him and he's using that physicality to run over defensive backs, um, you could have a very productive player. And I don't think he's going to go in the third round. Now people from South Carolina will argue up and down that he's a better player than that. and He might be, but it's all about supply and demand. And this year there is so much supply that this guy's going to be available probably at the top of the fourth. I'd truly be willing to bet money on that. And it's not because he's quote unquote a fourth round ride receiver. It's just because there's so much talent above him. Very, very talented guy.
1: Man, it's just <sighs> – you kind of go back to this point like it really seems like pace uh would be in a pretty good justified position if you can find a trade partner to try to trade back and, and see if you can scoop up one of these guys that's going to fall cuz there's so much talent there's a need on the roster but there's so much talent in this class uh that you can get it a little later but uh, I know this is,
0: of- I know this is the anti pace move but I I want Ryan Pace so badly this year to channel his inner John Schneider and yeah, John said, GM of the Seahawks, right? Trade back with, you know, if you really can't let somebody go, That's somebody slipped or one of the quarterbacks is there that you really believe in or, or whatever. There's, you know, one of the tackles that you really wanted. One of the high-value positions edge is there. Somebody that's, you know, you just can't let go. Fine, pick them at 43. I'm totally okay with that. And then take 50 and trade it back preferably to the end of the second round you know right at the you know 30 31 32 in the second round and then when you get there if the board is still loaded and you're looking at you know eight or nine players that you'd really like to pick there and you think you can trade back again do it because if you do that you're going to end up with a third a fourth probably another fourth and a fifth or a sixth And all of a sudden, your draft looks really, really good. You can pick up a lot of these guys later. Now, that I know that is the anti-Ryan Pace move. He goes up, not so much down. But if he goes down once or twice or down with both of those second-round picks, he can pick up a lot of draft capital. Not a little. He can pick up high draft capital, and he can pick up a bunch in the later rounds to pick up guys that are going to slide. And in certain classes, especially the wide receiver class, there's gonna be guys this that live.
1: That's what I'm excited about. Uh really hope it happens. I got I got a couple more guys on my list. And this guy's from Michigan, and I inevitably he's gonna be called by his initials because he's got a hyphenated name, right? So this is Donovan Peoples Jones. What do you know about him?
0: Yeah, Peoples Jones, DJ uh, DPJ. I always want to say DJP. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the DJ part of it, but DPJ, third year junior out of Michigan. First saw him last year on tape and uh, made a note of him when I was watching um, some defensive backs that played against Michigan. I was like, man, this guy keeps making plays. Like They don't football a ton uh, at Michigan. There's a couple of reasons for that. One, they sort of schematically don't believe in it. And two, they had Shea Patterson at quarterback, and he was not tremendous um, as a quarterback. He's not a pure passer. And so the numbers for Donovan Peoples-Jones don't look great, but he, again, is a guy that's 6'1", and 5'8", 2'12", played in the Big Ten, um, would have been highly productive if he was in a passing offense, and has a bunch of skills, but is not going to go, probably, for the fourth round. And, again, very skilled wide receiver that you can plug in, has played at a big-time program, and I think has more in the tank than he showed in college. He's one of those sort of interesting prospects you want to unearth that maybe wasn't in a system uh, in the Big Ten that favored passing. Kind of like, I don't know, um, George Kittle.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: Right? He's not as good as George Kittle, but he is one of those guys that the system he was in did not highlight um, fully the skills that he has. So I think there's more in the tank. I think there's more to uncover there. How much more really depends on where he lands, like always. But he's a guy that showed flashes, showed big sideline catches, showed good body control, showed toughness. Uh, I think a lot of people don't even know his name and that's fine. He's a true junior but he's a guy that if he lands in the right spot the coach understands, you know, what he's got and the quarterback decides that he wants to throw to a rookie. He's a guy that could come in in the right situation and produce.
1: Uh, I don't know what his personal situation is, but tough uh, tough year to come out early if you're not one of those elite guys in the first Yeah, round.
0: and the other thing is tough for, you know, talk about Taylor Gabriel, tough to be a free oh, agent man. wide receiver when a GM's looking at the board going, dude, I can get one of you in the fifth right yep. and i have two fifth round picks so why am i going to pay you nine million dollars a year i don't need
1: to no it's a it's a very unfortunate year to be a free agent wide receiver we talked about that a little bit with uh, robert it's like someone offers you a contract take it because jeez. Uh, yeah take it and take it quick because the money's only going to go down all right i got another abbreviated name and another big time program liberty uh of yeah. course <laughs> is what i'm talking about and that's antonio gandy golden
0: yeah, this guy is a tower, 6'4", 223, so we're talking like Michael Pittman size. He's a fourth-year true senior, um, was recruited by a couple of bigger schools, but decided to go to Liberty for the fit, um, has been uh, you know, very solid about that. A little bit shorter-armed, 77-inch wingspan, but showed some things at the senior, bowl. a little bit more raw than some of these other guys. Not a guy you're going to plug in right away as, say, a number two outside wide receiver and expect a bunch of production. Again, Liberty is going to be facing a jump in competition going to the NFL. If you can give this guy a year of seasoning, he's got the physical tools. He makes some flash plays. He knows how to use his size. Not slow. He's very good athlete. Um, great vertical leap, all that. And really just a toolsy player that you're going to pick up later on. Again, maybe much later on in this particular draft. You could get him down in the fifth. I wouldn't be at all surprised by that. If you get him in sixth, it's a great value. And you put him on, maybe he makes the practice squad the first year, maybe he's on the active roster if he really shows something in camp, if there is a camp, and he's a guy that you're sort of investing in the future, and it's really a vote to say, I believe in my wide receivers coach, and this guy's got... The tool we need, and where you know, which other draft are you going to get a 6'4, 220 pound wide receiver who can run even if he's not developed in the fifth? You're just not, those guys go sooner than
1: that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very interesting guy. There's just so many different, uh, interesting skill sets, and, and I, I can't end this podcast without. Asking you about a guy that you kind of had some run-ins with uh, a certain fan base about this guy. Yeah,, uh, so it's uh, Texas. let it. Devin Duvernay.
0: Yeah, and I will say again, the same thing I said about Devin Duvernay and in the infamous tweet that JB is referring right after the Senior Bowl. I came home. I was extremely tired. and I was like, I need to write these notes up. they're They're gonna go bad. they're going they're gonna be late. And so in a very tired state without enough coffee, I wrote a note about Devin DuVernay having some drops in the last day of practice that I watched. And uh, I said something about, look, if you're not going to be, if I said, if you're going to be something like athletically limited, you got to be consistent. And Texas fans ratioed me. Texas fans took my head off because Devin DuVernay, trust me, I can now quote his hundred time, his number of squats recorded, <laughs> um, and the number of drops he had at the Texas. Now, Devin DuVernay is a very productive player at Texas. Is he a great straight-up number one wide receiver? No, he's not, but he doesn't need to be. Think about Debo Samuel in San Francisco. That is the ideal role for a guy like Devin DuVernay because he was a sprint champion in the Big 12, and sprinter speed doesn't always show up on the field. He is very fast, though. He is also solidly built. He's a great athlete, and he had very few drops at Texas. My personal theory about Devin DuVernay is, yes, he needs to be in that sort of um, what Bucky Brooks has taken to calling a wingback role, which is really that multifaceted role. We talked about it with Cordero Patterson, with Debo Samuel. A sure. little bit running back, little bit a little bit of slot-wide receiver, just sort of offensive force. Now, if the right offensive system gets a hold of a guy like Devin DuVernay, He's going to blow the lid off. He has that kind of athletic capacity, and he doesn't drop the ball in game. Now, I went back after I got completely eviscerated by Texas fans, and I'm not kidding. I had to shut the mentions on that tweet off after 24 <laughs> hours because right. I had been told 250 times what his hunt time was, how many times he squats, and what a, you know, insert, nasty, nasty insult here I was. And the tweet actually started off with the words, I like Devin DuVernay, and I do. I think he's a really good football (laughs) player. Maybe one day I'll get to meet him and we'll have a laugh about this. But um, Devin DuVernay is a guy that you need to slot into a sort of non-traditional role, use that athleticism. And when uh, you saw it even with the Senior Bowl. When the game came on, he had a very big game. He had one of the better games of wide receiver in the actual game. I think Devin DuVernay is a gamer. He's a guy that when you turn the lights on, Forget it. He goes lights out in practice. I went back and watched every rep of Devin Duvernay in practice just to see if I was seeing things or perhaps a little sleep deprived. And there were three drops that he had in practice. Now that's as many drops as he had in, in the entire year at Texas. His <laughs> very very reliable hands, but I don't think he's a great practice player. But you know, to quote the great Allen Iverson, "Practice, we talk about practice." Right, I think he's a gamer. I think when you turn the lights on, Devin DuVernay produces. And if he goes to the right offensive system, I'm really excited about what he can do. And it's a bit the same for a guy out of Colorado named LaVisca Chenault, who a lot of people are saying, oh, he's a first-rounder. I think he's a first-round athlete. I don't think he's a first-round wide receiver. But again, if you get him the ball in space, he could do some really interesting things. Is he a great down-the-field receiver? I don't believe Chenault is. But use him in that creative sort of offensive weapon wingback role, Oh yeah he's he's got potential to really hurt people.
1: interesting. all right, I gotta ask you the same question that I did in the first or the second uh pot of guys. I guess the, this this now we we're in another pot of five that we uh that we talked about. If the bears maybe the bears take a guy from from that uh group that we talked about. Uh, above, and maybe they're able to take another one of these guys later, or maybe they decide to invest their picks in a different way with their first two picks and they're sitting on the board. They got to take a wide receiver. Who in this group do you really want than the others on the Bears? Oh
0: boy, they all have different talents for sure. Uh, you know, a guy like Duvernay would be fantastic if Matt Nagy was just salivating and saying, I can do so many things with you and I'm going to do it properly. I don't. Uh, it's hard for me to believe the way that they've used Cordell Patterson and even Tariq Cohen last year that that's the case, so it might not be the best fit. I think Van Jefferson, if you want a pure sort of outside X, number two wide receiver who can come in and make catches and be a pro, be the guy I would pick. And if you were looking for a guy that um, – Boy, was just really physical and I think underrated Brian Edwards. So if it was between Van Jefferson and Edwards, I would probably take Van Jefferson. But I wouldn't hesitate, again, if you've got that pick in the, say it's the fifth round and both of those guys are there, or even if Brian Edwards is there. Now, I know the South Carolina fans are going to get really angry and say, Brian Edwards shouldn't be there in the fifth round. Well, he shouldn't be, but it's possible in this draft that he might be. Um, If he's there, you take him in a heartbeat, you run to the podium and say, I'm getting a very good football player who is productive and i'm going to find a way to use him right he's going to give me good solid you know rookie cost control depth moving forward all right
1: all right well that's 15 of the you know 50 wide receivers that we could talk about (laughs) obviously we would love to just like you know unload all of these guys on a podcast but it would be four hours long we don't want to do that and so those are the guys that we think, you know, maybe they, they have a fit in Chicago or they're definitely fucking about. And, you know, for those early guys, just guys you need to know because they're going to be in the league and they're going to be important to follow um, just as a fan of the league. So uh, really appreciate you doing that. Um, I think that's it, unless you have a final uh, receiver that you want to quick uh, before we talk about the beers. Uh,
0: there's so many guys, like you said. Uh, you know, DJ said 27 in the top three rounds. That doesn't say the bottom four rounds, right? There's another... 10, 15 guys easily uh, that can or maybe will get picked. And the thing to remember about this wide receiver class is it's very hard to rank because, A, there's so many different flavors. There's fast guys. There's hands guys. There's technicians. There's huge guys. There's guys that are all three. And this guy is number three in this class, or this guy is number 10 in this class, is a bit like taking all the defensive backs in the draft, outside corners, nickel backs, strong safeties, free safeties, and saying, okay, who's the best? Because they really are different players. When you get right down to it and you look at them and you start carving up the skill sets, they don't fill the same role. And they might be equally valuable or even more valuable depending on which role in the sort of stable of wide receivers of the team that they're getting chosen by. You know, Like for the Bears, I, I might say that K.J. Hamler is more valuable than one of those big outside guys because they have a big outside guy and they don't have a speed threat. Does that mean Hamler is better than that other player? Not necessarily. It just means he might be better on the Bears. So it's it's very difficult to rank. It's very difficult to say with any sort of absolute definition, here is the definitive way these receivers fall out. It's just enjoy this class. You're not going to see another class of wide receivers like this for a long time. I'm not going to say ever, but it could be another 10 years. It could be another 15 years before you saw this many athletes at one position who were this good.
1: Yeah, I kind of want Pace to double dip, but we'll, we'll see. You need more picks to be able to do that. Gotta so have more I'm, picks I'm open, sure. hoping he trades back. So, all right, let's check in on the beers and, and uh, let's get people out of here. What uh, What did you think of that one?
0: I'm loving it. It's 22. I am about halfway through my glass of it finishing it off i really like it it's very smooth it's easy to drink has plenty of flavor to it it's not overwhelming doesn't do any one thing too much right doesn't try and overemphasize any bit great mouthfeel goes down really easy um, to me to my palate has a great balance of flavor it's not too alcoholic uh i I really like it. I think it's my favorite No Lee beer ever, and I've had several of theirs. I had Wrecking Ball in the pod uh, middle of last year. I would say Spin Cycle Red goes right to the top of their list. It's a really, really well-crafted beer.
1: Nice. Uh, I really like this, and it's probably the style. It's hard for me to find a lot of farmhouse ales, to be honest, which is really unfortunate considering i live in the middle of farm country but uh it's it's not a style that i think a lot of people are brewing and i talked to my uh colleague who runs a brewery and he was saying that it's just not a style that sells very well at least in this area that's really unfortunate because it's something i really enjoy but this is this is delightful it's uh, got enough of that uh Fruit flavor from the blood orange to give it a nice, uh, nice taste, and I just think overall the the, the style is well done here. And I would, I would definitely, I wish I would have gotten a six pack. I'll just put it that way. It reminds me of that beer that we had.
0: Um, oh, remind me of the barbecue place we went to when we went to camp that was across town that had the great
1: microbrew selections. Yeah, I don't remember what the name of it was. but Oh, yeah, God, we're that weird. place was so Bourbonnet. good. So they
0: specialized in, like, barbecue and beers. And we were like, oh, this is perfect. And we ended mm-hmm. up going back there. We had dinner with uh, our colleague Sam Householder and his wife there. Um, but they had a Saison that had a um, fruit in it that was uh, brewed somewhere. I think it was Michigan. And I had one of those in a 9-ounce. In a boy, it was really nice. So, yeah, if you add just that little bit of fruit to that sort of hazy farmhouse – um style of size on it's it's really nice i'm with you you know what the problem is they don't use citra hops <laughs> yeah <laughs> they, they don't uses, at all <laughs> everything uses citra hops these days so if you don't have citra, it doesn't sell which is a bummer because i'm with you that size on is a probably underutilized style
1: no it's all about the yeast uh the playing with the yeast in the farmhouse sales and uh it seems like the hops are the focus maybe you know maybe it's cyclical and it'll come around and right and, the pendulum
0: and, will swing exactly One can only hope. All right. Well, let's get folks out of here. You can always follow Jeff and I's work at Windy City Gridiron. Of course, you can follow the pod at Bears Over Beers on Twitter. Jeff is at Gridiron Born, and I am at the Draftsman FB, as in football. You can find my other podcast at Bootleg Football Podcast. That's both a YouTube channel and a podcast. And in the meantime, we will be rolling through the rest of the Bears' position, talking about who's on the roster now, what their needs are, and how they might be able to fill them in the 2020 draft, which has been uh, decreed by Roger Goodell to go ahead as scheduled, despite some protestations from teams. So we will try and fit as many of these in before the draft as we can. And until then, uh, stay thirsty and keep listening right here for all your Bears news. And Bear Down.